So there's a lot of that fear of that abandonment. So it's kind of played out into my adult life some. And it's, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think like the, um, like the emotional component with my mom, like I just wanted that so bad, that love. And then just like to have that like with my dad, but my dad wasn't there. So I think there's just a lot of times I felt super alone and just, I didn't know how to deal with that. I just, I felt very unloved. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm Megan Armstrong. Welcome to Life Six Feet Above. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles, and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Kim's story. Well, here we go. You are going to be episode two of season two. Yes. And I am, this is one of my, the one interview, and I look forward to all of them, but Mm -hmm. this one I've been looking forward to especially so for several reasons. So I'm with Kim Shaper today and I heard about Kim several months ago, mm-hmm. actually when I was unemployed, I had lost my job and a good friend of mine, you know, she knew my story. She knew that I was in fitness. She knew that I had struggled with body image and eating disorders and, you know, mental health issues. And she said, you should really reach out to this woman, Kim Shaper. And I'm like, I'm not just going to read out, reach out to some random person. But I started <laughs> following you. And um, it's crazy the way that the world collides and people's paths cross. Mm-hmm. Um, we finally connected through my new job mm-hmm. at Stat Wellness. Yes. So I'm super excited to bring Kim Shaper on you're today. So sweet. You're um, so sweet. You're going to make me cry over here. <laughs> oh, you're so well, sweet. Then we go, we start to get to know each other for a second. And you're like, well, my husband, we're at this place where I used to train at. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. I yes, know Ryan. Exactly. I know. Small world. So mm-hmm. tell us about yourself, what you're doing right now, mm-hmm. and then we'll we'll jump into it. Sure. Well, first off, like your audience is so lucky to have you. Thank your you. podcast is amazing. Your story, everything. Thank um, you. Just thank you for putting yourself out there and having the courage to do so because not a lot of people do. Appreciate so. that. So everyone listening, you're you're very fortunate. So keep listening and then keep spreading the word. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yes. So about me, um, you know, kind of where I'm at right now, my, I would say probably 97% of my business is online. So okay. I really focus on women's health. Um, and it's it's, it's multifaceted. It's not just one thing. Right. I really started out in the fitness space. And then as time has evolved and my I've had my own health struggles, I really wanted to 
elaborate on that, if you will, and just focus more on whole health. So um, as you well know, whole health is really mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. So um, I really like covering a lot of those facets with the majority of my clients. So I would say mainly it's women's health and wellness and and that sort of thing. So how did you get your start in fitness originally? Like Mm -hmm. how did you, you know, obviously there are a lot of people going into this field now. I think it's Mm -hmm. one of the fastest growing fields is not just being a trainer, but over overall, like I would call it like wellness coaching Mm -hmm. where it's nutrition and it's what you're doing physically and it's what you're thinking about and what, you know, all Mm -hmm. these things that go Mm -hmm. into it. Um, but to gain people's trust, Mm -hmm. you kind of had to be an expert in one area first. Yes. You nailed it. It's so good. Good job on that. (laughs) Yes. You're so right. Um, you know, so I would say my, my expertise at the time was fitness. Um, I kind of dove in in 2005. I wasn't ready at that time looking back because I was still struggling with a lot of my eating issues. But I I got my certification and I dove in, um, in 2005, worked for a little while, like LA fitness, then I quit and then, um, had to go back into treatment again. And then, um, back in 2010, I, my basement, like I had a basement out of my house in Alpharetta and it was freezing cold. There's a a baby heater down there. Um, you know, the, the framing was still up. Like I had two sets of dumbbells, no equipment, and I was feeling well mentally and physically, and I was running a pet sitting business at the time. And I'm right. like, yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I really miss the fitness piece. Now that I'm healthy and I feel good, yeah. I feel like I need to incorporate this again. So I just started randomly reaching out to some people and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, I want to work out. So it was 10 bucks an hour. I trained them with two different sets of dumbbells in my basement, freezing cold with, you know, still wow. all the plywood up and everything. And then from there, I just ended up finishing my basement and got a bathroom down there and like got all this equipment. And I swear people probably thought I was running a brothel down there or something (laughs) because people would come up and down the stairs around the side of the house constantly. And it was my safe haven. I I went through a really traumatic divorce. And so, uh, you know, I, I go back and I reflect like what was the, what was the, the, I don't want to say the safety mechanism. What was the, the comfort out of being in that relationship? Mm-hmm. And hands down, I always go back to the basement, like the basement with my clients was so cathartic for me. And, um, we, I just really gained a lot with my clients and myself and yeah. it was a great time. So, so you were doing this training while you were still married to the ex or yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that was like your getaway, your, escapism if you 100%. Will. I didn't realize it at the time, but it, it definitely was. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to think. I know a lot of times, and this is totally off subject, but yeah, a lot of times when we're going through something um, tragic or traumatic, mm-hmm. it, it's really hard to look at what's going on right then and, and what might actually be saving us until we get out of it until years so later. True. So true. And you're like, wow, I had no idea at the time that that was actually serving me mm-hmm. and where I was supposed to go in the future. Yes. So it's crazy. Wow. That's such a great point. Were you an athlete growing up? I was. Okay. Yeah. I ran cross country and track and played soccer and tennis and I loved everything. I was a tomboy for sure. But you're not Still from am. Atlanta, right? You're from... I'm, I'm. So I was born in Atlanta okay. and then I lived in Minnesota for six years and then Mississippi for a year and then moved back to Atlanta. So I've been here, I'm 40 now. So I've been here for maybe 34 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. And your family is originally from Greenville, correct? Like your, your mother's side. Yes, exactly. Yep. My mom's from Greenville and my dad's from New York. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where in New York? I don't know. (laughs) 
I'm sorry, dad. <laughs> I don't know. I only ask because I'm from New York. And yeah. whenever I say I'm from New York, people are like, oh, the city. I'm like, no, no, no. There's a whole state. I'm from upstate. <laughs> right, like, exactly. They're like Westchester. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like know. closer to Canada. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, So you, I for some reason, I thought you did live in Greenville at one point, but you did not. I did not. Okay. No, just my mother. My mother okay. was, was born and raised there. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So you're in Atlanta and you have a sister. Yes, I have a sister. She's 30, 34. 34. Yes, so she's okay. six years younger than I am. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to jump way back to um, the way that you grew up and mm-hmm. just how, you know, living with two parents who loved each other, adored each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Kim's mother has a documentary on Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. and it's called The Sister's Call. Mm-hmm. And the first time that Kim and I actually spoke and she told me a little bit about her story, because I like to do pre-interviews. I like to mm-hmm. to find out, you know, a little bit more information than just walking in cold with somebody. Um, I love that you do that, by the way. So it's interesting. I have talked to other podcasters and they're like, nope, I just want to do research. I don't want to actually do a pre-interview. And I feel like for my with my subject matter, mm-hmm. it's really important to make sure that the person's ready to put it out there mm-hmm. because it, it's very sensitive. And it also is like kind of telling me your story first without sitting in front of a mic, knowing that it's going to go on this platform. Sure. It, it just kind of breaks that wall and that barrier. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I don't know why, but I'm really incredibly grateful that people are trusting me with, with the most personal information pieces that they can give me. Um, you have a, and you, you just have such a great energy about you and just walking into your, and in your into your place. Yeah. It's very magical. It's very Aww. spiritual. It's very warm and inviting and you give off that energy. And so I think people instantaneously feel safe with you, which now you're going to make me cry because I spent <laughs> there were so many years when I was such in a negative space mm-hmm. that I didn't have that. Like people didn't come to me. They didn't trust me. Like they'd come work out with me because I had good energy in that class, Mm -hmm. but not the rest of my life. And I felt Mm. that and I knew it and I perpetuated it. Interesting. So it took me a really long time to turn that energy around. So just hearing that is... Oh, it's so apparent. Thank you. It's so apparent. Like as I'm looking at you, you have like (laughs) this beautiful aura about you. It's so true. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, Did people say you're an empath? Yes. Yes. Okay. I totally say that. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. And I think it's because of my story. Mm -hmm. I think it's because I, I get it and... I used to judge myself and judge others and judge everything so much mm-hmm. that to be an empath, you, there has to, that judgment has to be taken away. Totally. It has to be stripped. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times you, it's hard to strip that without actually going through it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, wow. We just totally, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm Sorry. Like, Thank you it all off. about me now. Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. good. I like it. Um, the day that we talked, you told me about, you know, you told me about your story and I had knew that you struggled with eating disorders and body image. I knew that you were in fitness and all this, but I had no clue mm-hmm. about your family history. And it makes so much sense now because everything that we've gone through throughout our life, I really do think goes back to our childhood. Oh my gosh. It's at it's least every- parts of it, right? Oh, hands down. It is 100%. Yep. So your mother has a documentary called A Sister's Call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you briefly told me what it was about. And you're like, this is intense. I'm like, okay. And I watched it that night. I know. I was shocked. I, was, I was like, like okay, you're holy on it. shit. Like, yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Like mm-hmm. an incredible. And it's like, it's your sister. It, it's your 
you know, your mother's story, but it's very much your story. That's interesting you say that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. And I feel like that because without her going through that, without that happening in your family, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be the way that you are today. Yeah, I don't think I would. Right? I, I don't see it that way, I guess, because I'm in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. But that's a good point. I never even thought of it like that. Like that kind of shaped who you are mm-hmm. and what happened to you and and what happened to, you know, your grandparents mm-hmm. and all of that. So um, let's just dive into it. A sister's call. Give us a, a brief overview and then mm-hmm. we're going to kind of get into little different um, facets of it. Sure, sure. So um, the documentary is actually crazy how it all came to fruition. Um, my mom, she was looking for her brother. So long story short, her brother, I think he's maybe seven or eight years older than she mm-hmm. is. Her brother was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. My mom comes from a, a really rough childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, she lost both of her parents to suicide. And her um, her her brother, her older brother, had the, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. He played football in college. He was very well liked. It was a very, you know, their, their family was kind of like keeping up with the Joneses in mm-hmm. a sense. And so Call ended up, her brother, that's why it's a sister's call, right. <clears throat> ended up going missing. And everyone thought that he died. And even in his high school obituary, they're like, Call passed away. And my mom's like, no, there's no way. I know he didn't die. She had already lost both of her parents to suicide. She's like, I know he's still alive. And everyone just would say, Rebecca, you have to give up. Like, mm-hmm. he's just not here. And she kept trying. She said, well, she, I remember, I'll never forget. She went through so many phone books trying to find his name at the time. You just went through the yellow pages. And the reason why how she How old were you? Sorry. How old yeah. were you when this first happened? I was, um, I was in, I was maybe around 12. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so I just remember her going through all these yellow pages and I'm like, mom, what are you doing? She's like, I'm trying to find my brother. I'm trying to find him. And he would have been in there, but he, he went by the name Montana. So, oh. yeah. And so he would, he, anyways, he was homeless. Okay. And again, no one could find him. And I don't want to give away how we found him because mm-hmm. I think that's a good part yeah. of the story. It's crazy how yeah. it happened. Total miracle for sure. Yeah. Um, so we ended up finding him 14 years later. And so my mom then was like, okay, I have to hear about your life. Like, where have you been? What have you been doing? So she got this little handheld camera. And so she started documenting his life. She He brought her back to where he was sleeping under the bridge. Um, Which was you know, crazy. Like, I know, it's crazy. That visual, I was like, how does someone survive there? I know, I know. And the railroad tracks yeah. and everything. Yeah. And, um, so he basically just gave her a chronicle of his life. And in the beginning, he was very closed off. He didn't like to talk a lot. But then over time, he started opening up a bit more. And, you know, we talked about it as a family. It was my mom's obsession. My mom was purely obsessed with trying to fix call because she couldn't save her parents. And Mm -hmm. so it was this ongoing effect. And, um, you know, so it's really just, I found it to be a a very therapeutic story for my mom. It was kind of rehabilitating her in a sense from part of her childhood trauma and, um, call is no longer here, but he still has a very deep place in our hearts. He was a great guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's incredible the way from the point where she found him mm-hmm. to, you know, where he ends up. And I think it was like six years that she kind of documented, you know, he had some rough patches. Yeah. He, he was very up and down. He had to go back into a, basically like a psychiatric ward. Yes. And then he was living on his own and kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty inspirational though. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the messaging around it was just, my mom just wanted to show people and tell people that, that you can love people with mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. They're not always, 
my mom is very, very spiritual. And a lot of times we'd laugh because she can be a little woo woo, but yeah. we love her for it. <laughs> and so she, she totally believes part of calls voices was just like another level of, of spiritual awakening. Yeah. And so even though he had this stuff, he was also incredibly intuitive and he, it was just a different level of thinking. Right. Um, and yes, but part of the reasons why he would have these breakdowns is because he would get off of his medication. Mm -hmm. And so for people that deal with schizophrenia, it's very common for people to quit their meds. Meds, um, yeah. because it makes them super tired. Um, just the, the side effects of the medication is pretty brutal. Gosh. And so, you know, they, they think, oh, well, I'm stable now I can get off the meds. Right. But then, you know, once the meds get out of your system, then it creates this whole effect right. again. And right. so, right. um, yeah. So do they ever, did they ever figure out why he was the way that he was? I mean, I'm guessing it's, it's because of your, your grandparents. So your mother's parents, um, really struggled with mental illness. And I think we say mental health and then mental illness is like, you know, someone that is more diagnosed with schizophrenia or mm -hmm. something like that, like depression, bipolar, mm -hmm. um, that you do really need external help. Everyone has mental health, just like physical health. Sure. Yep. And I think we use mental health in the wrong way. I think I a lot of people get that confused with mental illness. It's like, yes. it's not that traumatic, like whether you're obese or whether you're a healthy physical person, mm. you still have a physical health about you. Yes. Such a great point. I would love to break that stigma on like mm -hmm. mental health, not always people thinking like, oh, you're crazy. You got bipolar yes. or whatever. Like, no, no, no. Mental health is, is just wellness. Exactly. Right. So, so true. Your, um, your maternal grandparents really, it was almost like when I was watching like the old clips of them, it reminded mm. me of like the, the cleavers or yes. something like this, like, you know, everything looked perfect from the outside mm -hmm. growing up in, uh, uh Greenville, South Carolina, mm -hmm. they were probably like what in the fifties, sixties mm -hmm. or whatever. And everything was prim and proper. And like your grandma basically had to be perfect all the time. Yes. She and, did the debutantes yes. and all that, which is very big here in the South. And right. so, yes, yeah, so it was a lot of pressure on so her. It's a lot mm -hmm. of pressure to have this external, you know, persona mm -hmm. and internally she was struggling. Yeah. Hard. Struggling hard. Right. And my mom would tell me. Do you know where me, that came from? You know, and it's so hard. I think what gets challenging is because back in that day, they didn't understand what was right. really going on. So right. my mom would tell me, she said, I, I really think my mom had schizophrenia too, because mm. they would stand outside and her mom would say, oh, you see that? Like, don't you see that person? And my mom's like, no, there's no one there. And she's like, yeah, there is. There's someone over there. And then she would, my mom would say that she would beat her head against the bathtub and be like, I just can't get these voices out of Gosh. my head. And so, and then she went through, I think it was like 40 treatments of electric shocks. And yeah, um, I yeah. seeing that. And so, you know, and I, I do know once she was married to my grandfather for a period of time, it progressively became worse. Mm -hmm. And so I think that was part of it as well. And my grandfather had severe depression too. And yeah. then I do know that he also abused my uncle, Call. So I think that triggered stuff too. And that's part of the reason why he left. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a lot there. I, I was mean, wondering that. So, so, and I, this is important because it very much trickles down to your mother and it trickles mm -hmm. down to you. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just about like your grandparents. Like I, there's a, there's a reason and there's a method to my madness. Um, yeah. you know, your, your grandfather, did you, did your mom know how depressed he was growing up 
Or did she realize like that he was different from other fathers as far as like the way he behaved or what he said to her? Yep. So she said it was very interesting. She told me that she did not understand what was going on until she watched the Phil Donahue show back in 1991. And Phil Donahue started talking about sexual abuse. And, Mm. um, you know, and my mom goes, oh my gosh, that's that's me. That's what happened to me. And my mom, I think is just, was just kind of, I don't want to say checked out, but she didn't realize that a lot of what he was doing was not normal. My, he, my grandfather treated my mom like he, she was a wife. Because your grandmother was put in these psychiatric wards over and over and over. So it was almost like, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm no psychiatrist or whatever, but I, I think he was like trying to replace that role with Mm -hmm. your mom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he took his yeah. own daughter mm-hmm. and put her in this like wife role and, yeah. and sexually molested her. Right. Right. At how old? Um, I, how long did it, it went on for a long time yeah, for my mom. Like five I or think, seven years or something. Yeah. It was a while. Cause mm-hmm. they kind of recapped it. Like they didn't, it was more about like your, your mother finding her brother, but they mm-hmm. did touch on, on all of this because it very much explains why all this stuff happened. Right. Yeah. Um, and do you think, do you know if your grandmother knew that was happening? That's a really good question. I've never asked my mom that. I don't know. And I, I just know she was sick for so long and she was so out of it. And right. she was also medicated with so many drugs and would mask with alcohol. So mm. I think she might have, and maybe that might've been one of the reasons why she drank as much as she did. I don't know the answer to that. But I'll it's like to... in the 50 or in the 60s, you know, what mm-hmm. is a woman like that going to say? Right. And everyone thinks she's crazy anyways because she's saying she sees people. Mm-hmm. So she like stands up for her daughter and is like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Like no one's yeah. going to believe that. Right. Right. I right. feel like nowadays, at least we have come so far as mm-hmm. women and females mm-hmm. that people are actually they still may not believe everything we say, but at least right. they're listening to yep. us. Yep. So that's that's huge. Um, but also, you know when your mom okay so your mom was watching the donahue show and Mm -hmm. she realizes like what my father did to me is not normal right and how did it affect her um you know i think she married my dad young she was 19 my dad was 21 um her father wanted her to marry young um i think back in the day that was part of the thing too right um you know I, i don't think she realized how much it affected her until she was, she, she had perpetual anxiety. She mm. could never sit still. Um, and I think her, her running, her exercise was her means of, of escape. dealing with it. Escape. Yeah. Yeah. She never used drugs. She never drank alcohol. She never did really any of that. It was mainly her way of just numbing out. So she would stay super active all the time. And uh, really just, I don't think she realized the magnitude of what had happened. And that, that was her escape. Yeah. That was, mm-hmm. and also like back then, like if no one's talking about it, you just think, okay, maybe everyone else is, maybe their parents do this to them too. Like, yeah. Yeah. you don't know growing no, you up, don't. you really like, don't. However you grow up is your normal, mm-hmm. right? Our reality is very much our reality because yep. if that's what we believe and that's what we live and eat and breathe. Mm-hmm. Like, that's our normal. Exactly. So yeah. we don't realize that the way it can affect us until like 10, 20, 30 years later sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of comes in surfaces. And, you know, watching this documentary, seeing how much I, I, I want to, again, this is just from an outsider looking in, but I think 
you struggled, you and your sister and your dad struggled because your mom gave finding her brother so much attention. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably hard to understand that when you're in it, but Mm -hmm. like looking from the outside, I think it's because she had lost her parents Mm -hmm. and that's all she had left. Right. right? That's the only, you know, the only real blood other than Mm -hmm. passing, you know, generation down, like Mm -hmm. the only real bloodline that she had left. Yeah. And she probably felt like she had a duty. She had a a job Mm -hmm. to find him and take care of him. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I do think she kind of lost, um, taking care of you as well yeah yeah and a little you know, bit not to blame her no no for sure the no, way it happened it, the way it happened right yeah. and I I don't fault her for that right. because if 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 I was in the same position I would do the same thing right and I I, I knew my mom was very angry when we spoke about that because that was the first time at that dinner table scene that yes. all of us had really told her how we felt yeah. so she really was hurt by that um she had to process it a lot mm-hmm. but she said you have no idea he's my brother like right. how could I just turn on him he like if your sister, most, if that happened right? to your sister, you would do the same thing, Yep. you know, and it's uh-huh. very quick to judge and be like, uh-huh. well, I could have still paid attention. If you had a family, I still pay attention to my family too. It's like, you don't yeah. know until you're, until you're in it. I totally thick, agree. Thick of things. Yes. Yep. Um, so it came out in the documentary that not only, um, your grandfather did that to your mother, but mm-hmm. he did that to you too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which yep. I was like, when it got to that part, I was like, my, 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 I felt like someone like stomped on my heart. Um, mm-hmm. Because I felt so many different emotions. A, I felt for you because I, I can't even imagine. And B, I felt for your parents mm-hmm. because especially your dad, I think your dad said it so well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, we should have known. Mm-hmm. How could we have left mm-hmm. Kim mm-hmm. with your father, Rebecca, like mm-hmm. he was saying that to his own wife, like, how did we do that? Like they, they felt like they failed as parents. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe a little bit, Yeah, you know, maybe yep. they did. Yeah. Because if somebody does that to a loved one, mm-hmm. it's like when somebody cheats, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, they cheated on their past girlfriend. They're not going to do it to me. Like, eh. mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, So how old were you when that happened? Do you remember Mm -hmm. your grandfather? Do you remember him well? Like Mm -hmm. uh, as much as you're open to talking about it. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I was around, I think it started kind of around seven. Okay. Um, and I just, I remember a lot of great things about my grandfather. Yeah. Like, um, he would, I don't know if you remember Teddy Ruxpin. Yes. I don't know if you're, oh yeah, my gosh. So. The little bear that you turned <laughs> yes, on. Yes. This is how so, old we are. I know. I know. So he got me Teddy Ruxpin. I was so excited for that. And he would, he would take me on trips and we would have fun and he was very loving, very doting. He would buy me a bunch of things and I would go for Christmas and I'd be excited to see him. Yeah. And, and then at the same time, it was like, I I would, I would be sleeping and you come in the room and fondle me and touch me. And really? I just, I just didn't know any different. And I, I just remember there, there was a time I was in one of the bedrooms and he had come in and he was touching me and like fondling me. And I remember looking out, out towards the window, but it was a picture. There was a picture there. It wasn't a window, but it was a picture. And I just remember looking at that picture being like, what's going on? Like something just doesn't feel right. Mm. And Um, I, I never said anything like at the time I didn't think it was abnormal. I just, and then I thought, you know, in my mind it was, it was very confusing for me because on one side, like I loved my grandpa, like he was doing all these amazing things for me. And then on the other side, I just thought, okay, well, this is just kind of part of it. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll tell you, Megan, the, the most traumatic piece for me in all of this is that, 
Um, and it's always so embarrassing to say, and I always get so upset when I say it, but, um, around that time, like around when I was like 10, I, uh, uh, was watching these two twins or her, their parents were there, but they were maybe, maybe, maybe four ish, okay. I guess. And I like, I got a Mr. Potato head and I was inserting it in one of the girl's vaginas. She had a, a two of them as a boy and a girl and they're twins. Yeah. And I remember just like ramming it in her vagina and she's crying and I'm like, no, this is what you're supposed to do. And, and I remember like, taking a bean bag and putting it over their faces and sitting on it. I'm like, and I, I just remember those things. And those are the things that hurt the most because I think, gosh, did I hurt them? And right. did that affect them? And right. I had a lot of anger and I didn't understand where the anger was coming from. Like I just felt really mad a lot. Yeah. And I also felt very alone. I felt really, um, I felt sad. Yeah. And I think that's was part of my depression too. My mom would say that, um, like around 10 or so, I would say, I just want to go in the middle of the road and get run over. Like, I just want to get run over. And, um, she never asked why, like it never came up. Our kids, our kids just embarrassed. Do they uh -huh. feel like they're going to disappoint their parents if they say something is wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know, you know, and I have to be honest, like, and I've never really said this before, and this is nothing against my mom. Yeah. I love my mom wholeheartedly but she was checked out like yeah. just, you know, emotionally and physically she's checked out. Yeah. And when I was in high school, even I would, if I got sick, if I, I remember having strep throat a lot and I would have to be in bed and I was sleeping and my mom would always leave. She wouldn't, she was just like, I have to get out of here. I can't deal with this. And I remember asking her, I'm like, mom, why do you leave when I'm sick? Yeah. Like, why don't you take care of me? And, and she would say, Kim, I'm just so angry. I was so sick of taking care of everybody. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm your daughter, you know? And she's like, in her mind, she felt like she had to take care of everybody for so long. Right. She just felt anger about it. And of course she, I don't, it's okay. I don't falter for that. Um, but there's, there's a lot of stuff there with my mom. Yeah. You know? So we've I mean, had you, our times. You say sure. it's okay. And like, I don't falter for that. And I think like, I, I still know, like, even as adults, we always want to protect our parents, just like our parents want to protect us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think it's okay to be like, yeah, that was fucked up, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and as much as that might hurt her, it's also part of the healing process. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes we like sugarcoat things, especially after we've gotten through them mm -hmm. because we don't want to remember how bad it was, yeah. but it, it's, it's also, again, it's part of that healing process to be like, it was really bad. Mm -hmm. You did really do a bad job at that point in my life. Right. You know? It's true. And honestly, as kids, we need our parents so yeah. badly. We need that stability. And I think if I, after all the therapy I've gone through, a lot of it was the, the emotional connection I didn't really have with my mom. Right. She was there, but she wasn't like right. her physical presence was there. And I always remember she would, uh, she would be at home every, every time I came home from school, how was your day? How yeah. was your day? And I remember that. And that was so sweet to me. And then at the same time, emotionally, it was, just very absent right. um she didn't help me with my period like I had mm. to kind of figure that out and there was just um just checked out yeah. and then you know my dad traveled all the time and he wasn't really home so there was a lot of that fear of that abandonment so it's kind of played out into my adult life some okay. and it's you know I think um okay yeah I think like the um like the emotional component with my mom like I just wanted that so bad that love and then just like 
to have that like with my dad, but my dad wasn't there. So I think there's just a lot of times I felt super alone and just, I didn't know how to deal with that. I just, I felt very unloved. Yeah. So, um, you know, sometimes I'm still trying to figure that out. I, <laughs> so. I think this is, uh, it just goes to show that, um, wounds are there, Yeah. you know, and that's okay. And it, it's probably going to like, I, I talk to people all the time. They're like, Oh, you don't take medication anymore. And I'm like, no, but I still struggle with yeah. depression. Like it's yeah. always going to be there. Sure. Just like an alcoholic, like they're always yeah. going to be cognizant of that and aware of that and have to stay away from certain things. So I think it's great that this, the, these emotions are so like surface level because mm -hmm. it means that you've dealt with it and you allowed yourself because when people don't want to deal with anything, right. they, they push it down, it down yes. and they replace it with something else. Of course. They replace it with anger or whatever mm -hmm. else. Yeah. Um, they replace it. So the mm -hmm. fact that something, even though you're over it, quote unquote, right, mm -hmm. you've gotten through it. It doesn't mean it d didn't exist. It's right. still there. It's still there. And you remember yeah. how sad you were at that age. Mm -hmm. um, and that's okay. Yeah. And that's important for a lot of people because I think that's why we should talk about I this totally stuff. I totally agree. I totally agree. Right. And, and it's I think, okay. Yeah. And I think that's why there's such a stigma attached to this and why I'm so grateful you're doing what you're doing because I think some people might say, oh, well, they've got it all or, right. you know, like Megan, like right. you look amazing and you have a great life and right. you're healthy. It's like, no, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. I still deal with stuff too. Yeah. So I think it's very taboo. It's very some people get very caught up in the surface level right. stuff. Right. And I like deep shit. I like to go yeah. deep and I like people that are deep and I like people that have really struggled because I get it. And yeah. that's where the depth is for me. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's how, um, I think the way the world connects at the root of all things is with deep emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we connect on Instagram because your picture looks great and has 500 likes. But like when you hear someone's story and struggle mm -hmm. and you can relate to little bits and pieces of what they went through, right. even if someone's never been, you know, molested by a father, what I can relate to your story of depression and not mm -hmm. feeling good enough and not feeling valued. And like, mm -hmm. it was a different thing for me. Like my mom was there, mm -hmm. but it's the same feeling that I had. So it's so mm -hmm. important that you know, grief is grief. Pain is pain. I say this all the time, Yeah. but the different circumstances that create that sort of emotion mm -hmm. are different for everybody, but the emotion is the same. And whether you're 10 years old or mm -hmm. 95 years old, mm -hmm. what makes you sad? And that, that feeling that, 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 you know, feeling where you just want to break down and cry mm -hmm. is the same for a 10 year old and a 95 year old. Absolutely. Like your emotions are always there. Absolutely. So our kids, are seeing us adults mm -hmm. not dealing with the depression, not dealing with the anxiety, not dealing with all of this stuff. So that's their normal. Yeah. So now if they can see us starting to deal mm -hmm. and talking about this and putting this on this, you know, platform that I hope mm -hmm. people actually listen to mm -hmm. and, and care enough to share that maybe they can look inside what they're doing as adults and mm -hmm. be like, holy shit, this is going to get passed to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. If I don't do something about That's it. That's a huge, right. And I, I think I talked to so many women that they're petrified of that. Yeah. They're like, my daughter's already starting to pick up on my behaviors. And, and, and sometimes I have to check myself cause I get angry because I'm like, why don't you just fix it then? You right. Know? But, but, um, and kids are so smart they're and they're so, so smart. intuitive. Oh my gosh. They are. They get it. They do. They do. And they watch. 
They're yes. huge what they watch yes. and they, they replicate versus someone could tell them, oh, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. But then you see the mom constantly sizing herself up and picking her body apart and the daughter's going to do the same thing. Were you diagnosed with depression in your teens or when did, mm -hmm. how did all of that kind of happen and your mom finally see, okay, Kim does need help. Did mm -hmm. she get you professional help or? Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, I, in and out of high school, I knew I, I did at the time I fully wasn't comprehending it, but I was depressed, yeah. just sleeping a bunch and just feeling really down. Um, college, same thing. I would sleep a ton. Um, I lost a lot of motivation. Looking back, I definitely was like not living my best life. Right. I mean, of course I wasn't eating that well and I wasn't sleeping much cause it was college, but mm -hmm. I was still struggling pretty hard. Um, and then when I, I came home after my first year of college, uh, it was when, you know, I, I don't know, they say, and I don't know the science behind it, but something where like around the onset of 19 to 21 is when you're something with your brain is still changing or something. And you can have like a switch. Yeah. Like a trigger. Yes. And so I don't, I don't know exactly what the trigger was, but that's when my anorexia started like really bad. And huh. then once the anorexia came on, like the depression came on like tenfold. Yeah. And so I went into treatment for my anorexia and then, um, I, they put me like, I don't know, like this, you know, million dollar calorie diet, but then they had to hurry up and get out cause insurance ran out. Mm. So that's a huge problem now is that they think, Oh, if you make weight, right. you know, then you're fine. Right. It's like, okay, what oh, about all the fixed. coping tools yeah. that I need? Yeah. So I got out and struggled hard and then I kind of swung to the other end and, and gained, um, I think it was like a hundred and something pounds within a year. And I was just, um, emotionally eating, stuffing, um, binging and purging, really depressed then too. Um, and so it was, it was very interesting how you're treated on either end of the yeah. spectrum. Yeah. Um, and then I still, I went in treatment again, uh, and I, I did get better at that time. I started feeling a little bit, bit better. They put me on a proper medication to help with my depression. Um, and then I started, you know, moving and getting active again and taking care of myself. And I felt great. And yet still at my core, I felt unworthy. And mm -hmm. so then I'm like, okay, let me do fitness shows. And then let me do, you know, pro, uh, you know, professional cycling and let me do triathlons and let me, let me go on every diet. And it was like, it's still, that was my way to cope and try and fulfill that void within myself. And so, do you think yeah. in some ways, um, when something's going on with us, you know, emotionally, we fill it up with other things oh, like totally. we're like okay let me just keep busy let me do yeah. this let me do that was that what it was absolutely. for you absolutely it yeah. was it was men and it was food or body stuff really they went hand in hand so it would be where if I, I it was yeah it was always like I was in some sort of abusive relationship really? um or mentally physically emotionally yeah I would I would pick men who are just <laughs> I remember I dated this one guy and he's like, yeah, I made this list of what I want to, what I want in a woman. Number one is she has to have 10, below 10% body fat. That was my what? number one. And I'm sitting here. I mean, I remember looking back now you have to laugh about right. it. I'm like, what a douchebag, right. you know? Um, but yeah, I would date the biggest douches ever. And so, yeah. And then what would happen is they would be kind of emotionally abusive or they are fully so focused on the exterior. Right. And that, that made me want to focus on the exterior more. And then it, I lost a sense of myself yep. and my self-worth went down. And because they were so insecure, they would put me down. And then they just, the, the eating disorder stuff and the men went hand in hand always. It's just cyclical. 
right? It's like you get mm-hmm. in this spiral and then you don't feel good about yourself, but you don't want to break up with somebody because it's all you have. And sure. Then, yeah. yeah. Yep. It just keeps going downhill. <laughs> yeah. So at what point, and people have asked me this before and it's like, I don't know. There wasn't like a day. There wasn't a catalyst. It I was know. like a random day that I woke up and I'm like, fuck this. I'm mm-hmm. not, I do not want to live this any, this way anyway, but mm-hmm. I don't want to die either. So, mm-hmm. okay, here we go. Yeah. So do you remember mm-hmm. when you had that kind of like, Something needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. There was two times. Okay. So the first one was I was going into my sixth treatment center. Okay. This is when I was maybe 20, 27. Okay. Okay. And again, I, this is my seventh treatment center in and out, in and out. Um, Treatment for eating eating disorder, depression, anxiety, everything. Yep. Okay. Um, so I remember I was sitting in the bathtub and I was just a hot mess. Like I'd still been binging and purging a lot and I just felt awful, yeah. like mentally and physically. Yeah. And I'm like, I just don't want to live here anymore. I want to die. And so I went downstairs and I told my mom, I'm like, mom, like I have to get help. I'm, I'm done. I'm over this. I have to get well. So they checked me into um, Emory and then I was at Emory for a week and then they brought me down to a place in Florida and it's called Renfrew and I was there for a year and yeah and so that was a pivotal moment for me got out of there and looking back now I probably should not have met my first husband at that Mm -hmm. time Um, I I was still at a very vulnerable point uh, getting out of treatment right and he saw that and took advantage of that he's a total narcissist sociopath what have you so I thought I was okay. Yeah. You know, we got married, yada, yada. That's a whole other story. I, <laughs> Dr. Phil Donahue contacted me. Or not not Phil Donahue. Um, Dr. Uh, Phil? Dr. Phil. No way. Yes, twice to get on a show about the story. It's a whole story. It's wow. like a whole okay, other thing. We're going to have a part two when I mean, you come it's back. crazy. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I want to hear, hear that. But we'll... we'll okay. Let's okay. do a part two. <laughs> Done. It's already yeah. on the radar. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, and so after that... You know, I, um, I just, I, I was traumatized from that for sure. And, um, then I still didn't work through a lot of the trauma with what happened with my grandfather. Mm -hmm. So I went back to treatment one more time and that's when I was really like, okay, I got I got to really focus hard and get well. It was an all women's um, center. It was the best thing I ever did. They're closed down now. I was going to say you're, um, because I remember this from the documentary, your parents didn't know that your grandfather did that to you for a long no, time. No, for a long time. When did you finally tell them? When I was 19. Oh, my okay. My first treatment okay. center. The first treatment mm-hmm. center. Okay, okay. So yep. they knew by then. All exactly. Right. But this is your late 20s and you still hadn't dealt with it. So 10 years later yeah. and it's still there. Yep, yeah. still there. Yeah. And I, I think I was the, a lot of the treatment centers were so focused on fixing the eating, the eating. or you right. know the anxiety. Right. But it's like it was so much deeper than that. <sighs> and we never really got to that. Yeah. And so I, that was a big part of it. And it was also my responsibility because I didn't go there yet. Right. And so when I went to this all women's facility, I was there for three months. It was the best thing I ever did. But the thing that kept me going and really moving on a track to wellness was after I got out of treatment, I spent a year every week for a year going to my therapist. Mm. And that was a game changer that really got me well, because you can for people that have been in rehab, it's you can go and it's very structured and like you can be fine because there's not as many triggers, but then you get out into real world and you have a lot of stress, right? There's a lot of triggers. You get fired up again. It's easy to go back to your old behaviors. So for me, it was like, I have to stay on top of this and continue to, to get well. Consistency is key. Hands down. Whether it's physical fitness or mental wellness. It really is. It's It's always true. So true. But Mm -hmm. also like being able to take responsibility. And for me, 
my life started to change. It took several years after like making this like aha moment, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was like, this is on you, girlfriend. Like when I looked in the mirror and like, I can't blame anyone else, you know? And it's not that whatever happened to me, like you and what happened with your grandfather, that is not your fault, but it's your responsibility Mm -hmm. to, and it sucks. You got dealt a really shitty hand, but unfortunately that's your life, yeah. right? That's what was given to you. Mm-hmm. And now this has become your story. Yeah. And cause I, I, and I, and this might come across as being kind of bad, but like I have a hard time with people that are constantly in the victim mindset 100%. Um, because it's like, you got to shit or get off the pot, yeah. right? Like we all have our stuff yeah. and what are you going to do about it? Right. Rather than saying how miserable you are constantly right. talking about it. What are you going to do to change it? Right. And action to me is everything. Yes. So I, and I'm very, I think we're very similar cause I'm mm-hmm. very, like tough love and that's like how I was raised and my mm-hmm. dad's just like a you know like hockey player like you know just yeah. like you get through things you don't talk about emotions all this stuff but I felt that way for a very very long time once I kind of got through it myself mm-hmm. but I have found this new compassion and this new grace for people like that mm-hmm. because I remember I was there. Yeah. I was in so that true. space mm-hmm. and I wish that there had been someone like me to at least tell my story and say something like that without judging, right? There's yes. no, we're not placing judgment Correct. on them. We're Correct. just saying like listen girlfriend or or dude whoever you are mm-hmm. listening like you have to take a good look in the mirror and if you're not happy with something in your life, mm-hmm. you have to take responsibility for it. And the more that you're like, oh, well, I can't do this or, oh, this is happening or whatever. It's like, that is an outside source. Like right. you are only responsible for what you do and mm-hmm. what you think and the habits that you create. Mm-hmm. And your life is your responsibility mm-hmm. and your happiness is very much based on what you do every day, habitually day in, day out. And it's consistent. Mm-hmm. And if you're not ready to do that and you sit there and you're like, oh, I want to make this change in my life. I'm like, no, you don't. Right. You really don't. You really and don't. That's okay. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you that I didn't make that change for a long time, mm-hmm. but I did eventually. Right. So when you're ready and you're ready to, you know, decide that you don't want to live a certain way anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, then these things that we do now might help you. So what I like to do is really give people like tangible ways that help each of my, um, that have helped each one of my guests, Mm -hmm. because what worked for me isn't always going to work for you. What you did isn't going to work for someone else. Mm -hmm. But if people can start to take a little bit of this guest and this guest Mm -hmm. and this person, like they can kind of piece together what works for them. And I've got some great tools in my toolbox. Let me hear, let me hear them all. So um, one of the best therapies I ever did was dialectical behavioral therapy. What I'm not that? sure if you know that it's the best. No. So it's what I love about it is um, it's very different than cognitive behavioral okay, therapy yeah. because for me, what I found, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners can probably resonate with this, is I would um, I would get very emotional, be very heightened, right? You have the, the, the wave of emotion and there's a peak and you don't know how to handle your emotions. Right. Uh, some of us are very like emotionally desensitized and can't regulate our emotions. Right. And they feel very catastrophic. Um, so we would go into therapy. I would go into therapy. I would cry. I would express everything. I would leave. And then 
I might have one of those moments again and I'm like, how do I handle my emotions? I have to go see my therapist right away. Mm. And so what I loved about DBT is they give you specific tangible tools to use when you're in that like emotional dysregulation. And those for me were game changers. Like what? Yep. What? I love to share. Yeah. Okay. Tell us. So one thing I love is um, when when our brains are spinning uh-huh. and we're like, like our thoughts are going, we're having like obsessive thoughts and we can't slow down. Usually that's when we're time traveling. So we're either looking to the future or um, looking to the past. Mm -hmm. And usually the future creates anxiety and usually the past can create depression. So when you're having those thoughts, one of the best things you can do is look down at your feet. And Mm -hmm. when you look down at your feet, it grounds you and it brings you right back to the present moment. And it's like, okay, no, I'm okay. I'm looking at my feet right now. This is where I'm at right now. And if that still doesn't work, one thing I do all the time, if my head's still spinning, I will pick something apart. So we're here in a room and I will, I will look at some tangible object and you have a bird on the wall, um, with leaves. And I would say the color of the bird, the bird's blue. It has black wings. It's sitting on a branch. The branch is brown. And you find when you pick something apart like that, it brings you right back to the present moment Hmm. rather than you still spinning. It brings you right back. So that's one great, great, great grounding technique. Another thing I love is opposite action. That's a big one. So when we want to go back to what we currently do, even though we know it's not working. So let's say that you have the way I visualize it is you have two paths. You have one that's paved and clean and one that you go down to all the time, but yet it's not working anymore. Mm -hmm. And then you have this other path where there's tons of branches and, um, you know, there's, there's gravel everywhere and you're going to have to clean it up. And so it's easy to stay on the paved path, even though it's not fun and it's not working anymore. Mm -hmm. So you try this other path, but it feels scary. Like you have to move all the branches and you have to, you know, fix the gravel so it doesn't hurt your feet and it's uncomfortable. But the more you continue to work on that, that unpaved path, the more it becomes clear and you're like, oh, this feels great. Okay. This Mm -hmm. isn't, this isn't so bad. And then before you know it, that paved path you thought was once working for you, you don't even want to go down that path anymore because it doesn't feel as good. Right. Um, So I, I, I like to say when you want to act on an impulse or do something like a negative behavior, so maybe it might be like binge eating or, um, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever, instead of, and it's so hard, instead of acting on that impulse, do something else in place of that. Right. So maybe you call a friend or you go for a walk or a drive. Right. And then yes, the intensity will wear off, even though it feels so hard in that moment, yep. the intensity will wear off. And then your brain will start to say, okay, I'm going to do the opposite. I, the craving won't be as intense right. because you're right. doing something opposite, but it's so hard in the moment. It's, yes, it's hard. It is hard, but it's a habit that has to be um, broken consistently. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that like you're, you're, you're going to fall off the wagon. You're going to totally. go back to it's that normal. binge eating one day yep. and like, it's totally normal. Mm-hmm. You just can't stay there. Yes. Right. And you can't judge yourself for it. Correct. You know, cause our brain is going to do what we've done over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And even when you break that habit, it can still happen again. It totally will. And it will. And giving yourself compassion and grace that it will happen again. Yeah. yeah. And, and knowing that, okay, it's going to be okay. Yes. This is yeah. a behavior you've done for so long. Right. So right. The, the self-awareness is huge. Right. And then if, okay, you know, if you go down that route, instead of staying stuck there, what can you do to kind of get back on and regulate yourself? Right. Again? So, right. 
And I also think we try to fix everything all at once. Yes, we do. We're so overwhelmed with, you know, the job, the kids, this, that. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, let's focus. And this is what helps me is I'm like, okay, for this one week, Mm -hmm. I need to focus on this. I love that. And then I get to the end of the week and I'm like, oh my God, like this is, I'm going to use, um, uh, bulimia for an example, just Mm -hmm. because it's, it's my easiest thing to use. Mm -hmm. So when I would get through a week and I was like, for me, I would go to, um, drive throughs and I would just eat all the Mm -hmm. food I could, I could order it. Cause I felt like such a fraud Mm -hmm. as a fitness instructor in LA Mm -hmm. walking in to somewhere and ordering food. So I would sit in my car or I would order food at home. Mm-hmm. So if I was at home and I'm like, and my go-to was, uh, so stupid, this pizza. Hut. Yeah. That was my go-to. Uh-huh. And I would be home alone and I would just binge, binge, binge and mm-hmm. feel really good at the time. Of course. Yeah. Right. So I either a got in my car and drove somewhere else and got out of my car and did a walk mm-hmm. so that I didn't have that. Like I couldn't order something cause I wasn't at home anymore. Right. Or if I was driving around LA and wanting to stop at drive throughs I would get on the phone and call someone mm-hmm. because I couldn't say, Hey, hang on. I got a place in order for, you know, double cheeseburger, blah, 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 blah. Right. right. So, and then I'd get through a week and I'd be like, oh my God, I didn't do that this mm-hmm, week, mm-hmm. you know? And then you give yourself a pat on the back mm-hmm. and then you go to the next week and then you add one more thing into it and then you add one more thing into it. So, um, it's really easy to get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and then you kind of just give up on everything. Right. You know, I wasn't trying to fix my depression. I wasn't trying to fix, I was just trying to get through that one week without doing that habit that I knew really wasn't good for me. Right. I love that so much. It's like mastering that one thing. Yes. And once you master that, add something else. Right. right. Otherwise, by trying to take on too much, then we get overwhelmed and throw in the towel. Yeah. There's a great book, The One Thing. I forgot who, who wrote it, but it's a fantastic book. Okay. I highly recommend about this it. sort of thing. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to, I want to get back to any more like specific examples you have, but one thought I just had was, um, what was it that made you go downstairs and tell your mom you wanted to get help? Like why, why were you kind of at the end of your rope where you're like, I, I want to get better mm-hmm. because I think, I think for a lot of people, they're like looking for a sign or like wanting to figure out a way to like just admit that they wanted to get help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I I put my ego aside and I'm like, I I just, I remember just suffering so hard in that moment. I felt awful and I was so sick and tired of trying to do it my way. I'm so stubborn anyway, but constantly trying to do it my way and not get the response that I wanted. Like, okay, I've got to stop trying to do it my way because it's not working. Right. And, and I think once you kind of accept that and embrace that, that what you're doing is not working, you're, you're repeating the behavior and you're getting the same outcome. Like how many more times do you have to do that to recognize it? And then once for me, I had to be at like utter suffering to do mm-hmm. something about it. And unfortunately, that's how a lot of people work where right. it's like they feel like absolute crap or, you know, they've done behaviors for so long that they they feel like, you know, sick or super unhealthy. And that's yeah. when they decide to do something different. But I don't know. I think just in that moment, I had just never felt so just awful yeah. like mentally and physically. And I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. I did you to. ever mm-hmm. talk about, you know, I'm sure you did in your, in your therapies and stuff, but how much a role of genetics plays in your family? I yeah. mean, that's pretty obvious with, mm-hmm. you know, your mother and your, or, I'm sorry, your grandparents, mm-hmm. um, 
both taking their own lives. Yeah. So, you know, I've had to check myself because, um, you know, I lost both my parents or my grandparents to suicide. My, um, my, uh, uh, uncle has paranoid schizophrenia. So there's a lot of that on my mom's side. And so I, for a long time, I'm like, okay, I can muster through it. I don't need medication. I just need to try and white knuckle my way through. But one thing I'm so passionate about and that I try and release the stigma too, is it doesn't have to be this all or nothing. Right. Because at one point I was on 17 medications. I was so over-medicated and I was a walking zombie. And then I knew something wasn't right. Right. And so that was a big part of of why I'm doing the work now because you have to sometimes go against the grain and trust yourself that at the end of the day, you have to be the CEO of your own health. Mm -hmm. You do. You can't expect even doctors to fix it for you. You know, women are so intuitive. We know when something's off. Yeah. Um, and so for me, after that time, after being on those meds for so long, I'm like, Kate, no, that's not right either. And so that's when I really um, started doing a lot more research and I wanted to see, okay, how can I heal myself naturally? Yeah. And where I'm at now, it's not black or white. It's not like I'm okay, all holistic, all Eastern right. medicine, right. or all Western. Let me drug up myself. It's both. I, to this day, I still need medication. Do I need 17? No, I need three. Do I, you know, still make sure that I'm getting essential nutrients and B vitamins and whatever? Yes, for sure. So, um, you know, I make sure I have a balance of both. And that's yeah. what's been fantastic for my health. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one of, so I was on, um, medication for bipolar and depression for several years and the, it was like a maturity thing and like kind of growing mm-hmm. out of it and kind of just taking better care of myself that I was like, I think I'm ready to go off of these medications. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I was concerned about was like, I've treated my body so badly with binging and, and purging and all that. Like, what are these med- medications doing mm-hmm. to my liver, to my to all of my organs mm-hmm. and, and the function functionality of my body and yeah. the, on the inside that I really wanted to get off of them, but was also very, I had to look at myself and be like, okay, Megan, like, yes, you want to be off of them, but let's be honest, mm-hmm. you struggle. Mm-hmm. So if there comes a point in your life when you need to go back on them, you have to, you've done so much work mm-hmm. and you're going to have to go back on them right. if you go off of them and this works for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm always very open to the fact that like, it's always still there. Yeah. You know, I, I pray that I don't have to go back on them, but if I do, mm-hmm. I do. And like, what's the big deal? Yeah. So what kind of, um, effects can these drugs have, especially on women and mm-hmm. the hormones? Yeah, it's so hard. You know, I mean, yes, you know, talking about the liver detoxification stuff, um, some of the kidney stuff for mm-hmm. sure. Um, you know, I sometimes I think birth control can be really bad yeah. too. I mean, yeah. um, definitely a lot of hormonal issues around right. that. Right. Um, here's the thing though, is that the way I see it too, some women are so anxious mm-hmm. and they feel very unsettled and stress is a killer on the body too. Right. So sometimes it's like, okay, maybe you need a little medication just to take the edge off. Yep. So you're not constantly flailing and feeling so stressed out all the time yep. and reducing some of those, you know, impulses. Um, you know, I think it, there's so many medications out there. It's hard to say what side effects will be what, um, you know, I know some of them can include like weight gain or fatigue or, um, a little bit of brain fog Mm -hmm. or, um, uh, um, 
uh, muscle cramping, um, you know, uh, nausea, um, the trying to get off a lot of my medication. I had a ton of side effects, so that's brutal Jeez. too. So I, if I can spit one out there, I'll tell you, effects are as brutal to come off. <gasps> that's of. what I was on. Oh my gosh, how do, how on earth did you get off that? Very so, slowly, very so slowly. Yes, yep. mm-hmm. it's brutal. It's one of the worst. But that was one that actually I had to go off because it made me. It it, it actually it did the opposite of what it was supposed to do. It made me crazy. Yeah. So, and I don't say that to like knock on people that are actually struggling with schizophrenia. Sure. It um, made me do things that I wouldn't normally do. Like mania stuff. Yeah. So I, um, that was a period of my life when I literally, I drove home from college and broke into my boyfriend at the time. I broke into his house. Like I climbed his fire escape. Oh wow. Broke into his house. And it was like, for what? I, we were going through a breakup and okay. I was pissed and I like wanted to take everything back from okay. him. I took everything back that I'd given him, put it in my car and drove to my parents' house. Wow. <laughs> um, and like I woke up the next day and it was almost like, it was almost like I, I blacked out. It was yeah. like, wait a second. Like I wouldn't normally do that. Like, yes, I'm not in a good place, but like that me actually physically going to do that doesn't right. seem like something I would do. Like out of body experience. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's when they re-diagnosed me with bipolar instead of depression. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, you actually need to be on a moon stabilizer. Effexor mm-hmm. is not the drug for you. Like, yeah. But it, wow, that's so crazy. I didn't mm-hmm. even think about that until mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So if, oh my gosh, that one was brutal to come off of. Oh. The side effects of coming off are just, they, they're, yeah. they're hard too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I yeah. guess it's the lesser of two evils. I know. Right. So if you're anxious and that's going to make you unhealthy, mm-hmm. you know, and you need medication, then go on medication. Right. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I would just say, um, educate yourself. Yep. And be really aware and really mm-hmm. in tune with your own body and what you need. And also recognizing that a pill is not going to fix you. Absolutely. Right? Like 100%. That, and I wholeheartedly believe that, that so many times people are like, I just need an antidepressant as a quick fix. Right. But it's like, okay, you got to look at what else is going right. on. So, right. you know, therapy and medication if needed go well. But, right. you know, right. the, the, the medication for me is more just to function at a normal level. Right. Everything else is, is a bonus. Work. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And also, um, you know, if you're not ready to go and dig into your past, mm-hmm. And really figure out why you are the way that you are. A, a pill is not going to make any difference. It might not, help you get by, right? But it's not going to. It's, it's gonna a band aid. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, what other you know day to day things that you do mm-hmm. that really um, keep you? And do you struggle still? Like, do you have yeah. those days? Yeah. When you're like, just take me off this earth. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, not to that point. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, but I will say if, uh, in the winter time and mm-hmm. I'm so grateful, I don't know what it was about this winter time, but winter time is always a challenge for me. Same. And when it rains a bunch and it's dark, I struggle with that. Like I need sunshine. Yep. Um, so I, every single day, not if it's pouring, but every day I go for a walk and get outside yep. and, um, there's something about nature and something about being outside that's very therapeutic and research has proven that over and over yeah, again yeah. Um, so that is a non-negotiable for me I walk every day at Ryan's like Kim you're crabby do you need to go for a walk I'm like yep <laughs> so I go for my walks um, I try and eat vegetables I try and get a lot of um, micronutrients yeah. so um, you know yes I, I make sure I eat like enough protein and carbs and and healthy fats but I also make sure I'm getting enough like um, you know 
kale and, right. and apples and carrots right. and whatever. Right. Which, so. which up until recently, no one really talked about the way that your gut works with oh different gosh. foods really does affect you mentally. Oh my gosh. Yes. And growing up, like, I don't know about you, but I was a swimmer. Like I could eat whatever I wanted. Yes. I never gained a pound. Mm-hmm. And then uh, like that probably didn't help what I was going through in my teenage years. I know. Looking back to it, but no one knew. No one knew. Right. And that's the thing. Like if you have had an eating disorder and I see it over again, over and over again, it's like, you're going to have low stomach acid. You're yeah. going to have like gut dysbiosis. So, you know, bacteria that might not need to be there or vice right. versa. Right. Um, and then gut health is paramount, yeah. like gut brain health. It's so important. Um, omega three fatty acids. Mm-hmm. I swear by those, um, magnesium, um, uh, holy basil is great. It's a great herb. Um, ashwagandha is great yeah, too, you yeah. know, for stress. Um, I really try and moderate my stress because that's what kind of sends me over the edge yeah. sometimes. Um, sleep is again, non-negotiable. Yeah. I'm not someone that can live off five or six. I wish I was, but I need eight. Same. Um, otherwise I'm, I'm major squirrel. Yep. Like I have so many squirrels in that attic. It's like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. those are, I would say those trying to eat healthy. And again, it's not like I'm, um, not where I'm like super obsessive, obsessive about it, yeah. where it's like, no, I can only eat clean or this. Right. I mean, we'll go all, I, I mean, I love tequila, be yeah. honest. Love tequila. <laughs> I have to keep that in check too, though, because uh-huh. drinking can make me a little depressed. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, I love Mexican chips, pizza, but yeah. I, I try and only do that, you know, occasionally. Right. Um, right. So I say everything in moderation, yes. including moderation. Agreed. Like, so it's, it's eating healthy most of the time, moving in yep. some capacity. Um, and again, it's not like you have to crush yourself at the gym, but just moving, right. movement, right. Um, and sleep. And then like laughter, mm-hmm. I've noticed I need like, especially with work and how stressful that can get, we need laughter. We yeah. need silliness. Yeah. And that's very important yeah, for me like too. Everyone takes things way too seriously. They do. You know, right. it's like... Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're all going to the same place I at know. some point. Like, let's I just know. have a little fun. Exactly. You know? Right. Um, so what's your relationship like with your parents now? You know, it's it's good. Um, I, I'm very self-sufficient yeah. and independent. And I've also noticed that I don't receive their love as well as 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 well as I would like. Really? So that's a, a, something I'm working on. Um, my sister is very close with my parents. She's younger too. Okay. Uh, but for myself, like I love my parents and I'm also trying to work on having that relationship where, where I'm not so independent, where right. I still, I'm, I'm, I'm receptive of their love. Yeah. And yeah. that's something I still struggle with a little yeah. bit. It's like, no, I'm hard. I'm this warrior. I don't need your love, but I do. Right. Um, right. But it's, I mean, I love them so much and it's great. And you know, my mom will piss me off and I'll piss her <laughs> off. And the problem is we're similar. So yeah. then we just like piss yeah. each other off, but then we laugh about yeah. it. Um, but my dad's awesome. And Aww. yeah, my dad, my sister's great. So yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. What a story. Yeah. You're like so inspirational. Um, well, so are you. Thank you. I just, I, it's like, Hearing your whole story, I'm like mind blown. And the biggest thing for me, and this is what I tell myself, Mm -hmm. is this was not an overnight success. No. Right? This took years and years and years. And I can almost, I say that to try to give comfort to someone listening, but I Mm -hmm. also know how daunting that can sound when someone's at the bottom of the bottom and they're Mm -hmm. like, wait, I've got to get through this for another 5, 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. And what would you, I know what I would say to somebody, what would you say to somebody that feels that way? And they're like, I don't even know if I can handle trying to get through this for another 10 years. Like it really took 
us a long time to get mm-hmm. to where we are now. For sure. And I think people forget that. They yeah. think, oh, well, I want to be where you are. Like, what do I need to do? No, it's more than four weeks yeah. or more than, you know, getting on a certain supplement. Like right. it requires work. Right. For me, by far, one of the best things I think people can do is just do the next best thing. Yeah. What's the next best step you can take? Rather than trying to focus so much on the future, just what's the next best thing you can do? Focus on that. Yeah. And I feel like that calms the mind a bit. And when you focus on taking the next best best action step, it'll it'll perpetuate. Right. And then you'll build right. that resilience and then that confidence. And then before you know it, you know, it's a snowball effect and you're like, wow, you can look back and say, look at what all of I, I've accomplished. Like, right. I'm okay. Right. And mm-hmm. you're going to go through year after year anyways. Mm-hmm. So why not spend that time doing the work? Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. what else are you going to do? Right. You're going to sit there in your misery for the right. next 10 years. Yep. Well, you might as well put one foot in front of the other and mm-hmm. really, really try right. and know that you're going to fall down mm-hmm. and know that that's okay. And mm-hmm. like, know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, but also ask for help. Yes. You know, I, I never, I was so ashamed and so obviously my parents knew what I was going through, but really other than one close, close friend and a couple of my ex-boyfriends, um, no one really knew. And it's not that mm-hmm. you have to like go display it and like post it on Instagram, but mm-hmm. find a couple people yeah. and, and reach out to them and trust them and be able to find someone that you can just sit there and be like, today fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. And they say, I, I get it. Yeah. And not like, oh, it's going to be okay. And you're right. such a strong person. Like no one that's depressed or going mm-hmm. through any of these issues needs to hear that. No, no, that doesn't help. It doesn't just so, by saying, listen, I got you. Tell me what you need. Yeah. From me. I'm here to support you. Yeah, or like whatever. Let's go for a walk or mm-hmm. let's go. And, um, and that's what I love. Like after sharing my journey and my story and doing this work, like people are like, Hey, can you grab co-? I had someone yesterday mm-hmm. like, Hey, can you grab coffee? And I'm like, Yes. Like I'm happy that. to. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and she's coming off her medications and wow. going through the process. And I'm wow. like, you don't yeah. even know me from anyone. So thank you for trusting me. So sure. being able to, um, find those people in your life mm-hmm. and knowing like it can be a stranger or it can be just, you know, a therapist, you don't have to go to a, I think psychologist and psychiatrist. When people hear that word, yep. it's really intimidating. I know it's mm-hmm. really intimidating. Mm-hmm. So, um, if it's not a friend or, you know, an acquaintance, like mm-hmm. just find a therapist or a counselor. I agree. Yeah. Um, and ask people like mm-hmm. eight out of 10 people walking this earth that you come in contact. Yeah. Probably have a therapist. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I 100% and you know, and, and, and I, and I try to be cognizant of that too, where I don't want to dump all my stuff on people. Right. And so, yes, I have my friends I confide in, right. but it's a give and take. Right. And so you need that. And I think that's important too, is if you're really, really struggling, I think it's amazing to have friends that you can talk to and be open about yeah. and at the same time you need a third party yeah. point of view so you can get your stuff out without overwhelming your your close circle where right. they where it, it drains right. them you right. know right so I had, a, I had a friend tell me that recently they're like because I went through some things um last year and mm-hmm. you know was I was I was really um I had to give myself props because I'm like wow you're aware that you're going through this whereas mm-hmm. the old me would have just kind of like spiraled yeah um but she did say you know like maybe you need to tell like we can only do so much as friends mm-hmm. and at, in that moment like it stung because it's like course. oh i'm gonna have to go back to that but i'm like mm-hmm. okay you know you know this you know mm-hmm. this place mm-hmm. you're gonna be fine you're gonna mm-hmm. get out of it and she was right and i had to take that ego down yeah and be like okay okay i have to spend some time finding someone mm-hmm. and do the work and um it is what it is and i've been there before and it's always going to be there yeah 
It's it is. never going to completely disappear. Mm-mm. And you just have to, again, you just have to be aware of it yeah. and just be mindful of, okay, there's some behaviors that are starting to repeat themselves. What's going on here? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But I love what you said about, um, humor. Oh yeah. You have to have it. I wish, yeah. you know, I, I'm a pretty funny person. At least mm-hmm. I like to yeah. think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in my most depressive places, mm-hmm. I think I was almost even funnier because it was like a cover up. Like I didn't sure. want anyone to know what I was going through. Mm-hmm. So people are like, wait, you're, you're funny. You're happy. And it's, I think of like Robin Williams and like I all know. of these, you know, so not to say like I'm on that or I was on that level, but if we can, like, if you're in that place, watch a funny movie, go mm-hmm. to a comedy club, yes. like yes, go yes, yes. outside of your box, Yep, do stuff where you can go around people and like, let them mm-hmm. make you laugh. Yes. yes. I always wanted to be the person to do that for other people. Cause I knew I was struggling. Mm-hmm. I wish someone had been like, wait, 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 let's get someone to make you laugh. Yeah. Maybe that's why I like all the stupid movies now, but I love it. No, I love it. <laughs> well, and that's point. a, that's a great thing too. And that's, you know, yeah. so if, if you're feeling a certain emotion, like find a way to have an opposite emotion. That's an opposite. That. Yeah. So yeah. And humor, like that I would, sense. I remember I'd be feeling down and I, I'd watch like funny animal videos or whatever, <laughs> you know? So yeah. So I'd love that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Don't go, don't watch the uh, animal videos with like Sarah McLaughlin. Oh watch yeah. The no, funny ones. the ASPCA. The funny, oh yeah, gosh. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been like one of my favorite interviews by far. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah. And also too, like, I just want to point out yeah. too, is I love it when people share their story. Like, Hey Kim, I'm struggling. Do you have any suggestions? I'm dealing with depression. I love that stuff too. Cause it's, it's all connected. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, thank and you we're experts on it. I know. Now we are. Yes, I know. Right. <laughs> Everyone's uh, like, why don't you go back and like become a therapist? I'm like, no, I've already got my degree. Like, <laughs> right. All right. the shit I went through. That's it's my so degree. true though. It's so true. It's so true. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so, uh, my Instagram is Kim dot shaper, S C H A P E R, um, website, Kim shaper.com, um, Facebook, Kim shaper. Yeah. S C H A P E R. And mm-hmm. you have a website you said, mm-hmm. okay. And mostly women. Yeah. Mostly women, Teens, but I, 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah. Usually for like hormonal stuff, it's more 30s to 60s. Okay. Um, but I also, I help a lot of adolescents and young adults who are going through body image issues. So yeah. um, I'll do a lot of that too. And I've worked with men too. Like I, I love working with men, especially with strength training and stuff. And um, so I Is like most everything in person or do you do virtual? Yeah. It's pretty much all virtual. Okay. And I have a few in-person clients I've been training for years, but I like the majority of my stuff is virtual that's amazing mm-hmm. well thank you for sharing your story of course thank you so much and being for having so me. open and honest yeah. and um, make it easy cheers to life six feet above yes i love it cheers thank you kim appreciate thank you. it thank you all so much for listening to this episode of six feet above i'm your host megan armstrong Subscribe so you never miss another episode as we release new interviews every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying the series, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smullian, and the music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.